let's get real. Being a boudoir photographer is a lifestyle. Everything that we do or feel in our business inadvertently melts into our personal lives. Hi, I'm Bethany. I'm a boudoir photography coach that helps other boudoir photographers thrive and bring clarity to their work, life, and everything in between. I share about the insane highs and crashing lows of having a boudoir photography business and in life. It's like joining your bestie for a cup of your favorite matcha almond milk latte and talking all things this boudoir photographer life has to offer. Attention all boudoir photographers. Are you ready for an exclusive backstage pass to the world of boudoir? Introducing my exclusive Patreon membership for boudoir photographers like you. Join my inner circle and gain access to a treasure trove of boudoir photography expertise, tips, and inspiration. Immerse yourself in a supportive community where creativity thrives and confidence is celebrated. There are three membership tiers inside of Inner Circle. The Onyx membership is for the boudoir photographer that wants exclusive extra podcast episodes. The Gold membership is for the boudoir photographer that wants a little bit more with my done-for-you profitable pricing guide for boudoir photographers, camera basics course, behind the scenes of photo shoots, and live Q&A. The Rose Gold membership is for the boudoir photographer that wants it all. I get it, me too. <laughs> it includes everything from the previous memberships that I mentioned prior, plus courses on Facebook marketing and five boudoir poses that generate 1K sales, plus live Q&A. Elevate your skills and in -depth with in-depth tutorials that will take your boudoir photography to new heights. Click the link in the show notes to become a part of our Patreon family today. Holy moly, I cannot wait to jump into this episode. I read this excerpt from this book on Friday night and I've been dying to share it with you. So I've been reading Writing Between the Worlds by Linda Konov. Yes, it's a book about horses, but it's more than just that. It's a book about what horses do for the human psyche and how they bring out the true authentic nature of humans. Yes, you heard me correctly. Horses are healers for humans, whether you believe it or not. So let's talk about, let's read about the author here. So I'm just pulling it straight from her book. Okay, Linda Konov is an author, speaker, writer, instruct, writing instructor, and horse trainer who specializes in equine experiential, experimental learning and equine facilitated psychotherapy. In 1997, she founded Epona Equestrian Services, a Tucson-based collective of writing instructors and counselors exploring the healing potential of working with horses. Where was I? Oh, working with horses. In addition to formal equine facilitated psychotherapy sessions, Epona offers equine experiential, experiential, that's what that is, learning programs and stress reduction, parenting skills, leadership techniques, consensus building and mind, consensus building, mindfulness, intuition, creativity, sensory awareness, and women's empowerment. Um, that sounds familiar. Uh, thank you so much. The author of the groundbreaking book, The Tao of Equus, Linda speaks and gives workshops around the world. She lives with her husband, composer and musician Steve Roach, and their horses outside Tucson, Arizona. 
And then it goes into her website, which I'll include in the show notes anyway, so you don't even need to hear it. So here we go. <clears throat> so you're probably saying, okay, Bethany, that's great. But what does this have to do with my boudoir business? But hear me out. Whatever we as photographers, artists, artists, creatives think, feel, do within our lives, it automatically translates to our business through osmosis because it is something manifesting from the work we create. I want you to not leave your feelings at the studio door because we create from feeling. I'm going to say that again. We create from feeling. In a capitalist society, we are constantly chasing the dollar, right? Which, who doesn't love making money off their art? But I know for me, it really stifles my creativity. And it's different when you're reproducing the same artwork over and over again for people versus creating for the sake of creating. When you're cookie cutting is what, you know, you're essentially doing. (laughs) That's where your creativity goes to die. This is where I get stuck. And working with horses for the past five months more is more than just the equine therapy sessions I've been doing. I also do riding lessons at a Western barn and at a hunter-jumper barn, which is an English form of riding. So I know, two extremes for all those horse people out there, but um, I know, but I wanna understand how to be a great horsewoman. And here's the thing, they mirror everything you do. So bringing sometimes unexpected awareness to the situation at whatever situation's at hand based on the energy that you're showing up to the barn with. It's so freaking fascinating. Anyway, let's get back to how your programming, your upbringing can be holding you back in your business and in your life. Because remember, they are the same. You cannot separate the two. I've tried and it doesn't work Um, unless you sold your business. But also who wants to do that? Well, I mean, maybe one day when I can't shoot anymore. But other than that, I'm kind of like, I don't want to give my baby away. I work too hard for this. Um, So what I'm going to do is uh, I'm going to read an excerpt from Linda Kono's book, Writing Between the Worlds. The situation that's unfolding is Linda having an equine-facilitated therapy session with a client named Cynthia. She's a Southern Belle socialite who just fell off her horse. Like, literally, she just fell off her horse. So she's going to see Linda at a Pona Center in Tucson, Arizona, to try to figure out what's keeping her from getting back in the saddle with her horse, Jasper. And also, in the meantime, I also want to add that you know, her friends and family are like, you should sell him. He's not a good horse. But these are also like non-horse people that are telling her, her this. And, you know, she fell off. It's not like she bucked off or anything like that. She just fell off. But um, she's having a huge block around like getting back in the saddle, right? But there's so much more that they uncover from Cynthia's upbringing that are, that's the cause of the unsettledness as an adult that she will get into in a second. So without further ado, here is Writing Between the Worlds by Linda Kohenov. Ooh, this is kind of like an audiobook recording. <laughs> I've always wondered what that would be like. But anyway, <coughs> excuse me, I have allergies today. It is bouncing between summer and fall here. And I'm like, just please, Lord, like, just put me into fall already. I am ready. Let's do this. Okay, so 
Do you remember where we left, where the background is on this, between what's going on with Cynthia? But she's trying to dig deeper and trying to figure out why she is having a hard time getting back on her horse, Jasper. Um, I was going to say something else and I forgot, so let's just get into it. Okay. This part of the book is called Sold to the Highest Bidder. And if you do end up getting the book, which I'll include the link in the show notes, um, it's on page 27. So, Cynthia closed her eyes, this time with greater conviction, breathing much more deeply into her solar plexus. She noticed some pressure in her shoulders. And this is also, by the way, narrated by Linda Kono, so just keep that in mind. Okay, I said, that's great. That's what we're looking for. But before we go any further, I want you to make a deal with your body. I want you to tell it that you'll listen to its concerns, its needs, its memories from now on, but only if they're released a little at a time. Let me say it again because this is important. You'll listen to whatever your body has to say from now on, but only if it releases the information a little at a time. I encouraged her to repeat this in her own words several times before I continued. Now, keeping your eyes closed, I want you to breathe into your shoulders. I know this sounds strange and it is a metaphor, but recognizing that you are able to breathe into the center of your body to draw your consciousness there, do the same thing with the place where you feel the most pressure. Again, not to relax your shoulders, but to open a dialogue between dialogue with that part of your body. There's a message in that sensation, maybe more than one reason for the pressure. <coughs> Excuse me. Breathe into it. Expand the feeling. Let it get bigger for a moment so it can speak to you. But remember, you don't want to be flooded with information. Clear your mind of any preconceived notions and ask your shoulders to send you one image, one memory, one color, one completely irrational phrase. <laughs> the information may come in a form we can't predict, so be open to possibilities. As soon as you receive even the subtlest wisp of message, of a message, open your eyes. Cynthia's response was instantaneous. Wow, she said. I actually saw something. It was so vivid. I had no idea my body would speak to me like that. She shook her head in disbelief, and then the tears rolled down her cheeks. I saw my pony, Jellybean, the one I had as a little girl. He stared at me for a moment, so handsome, so happy, so trusting, and then someone put a halter on him and led him away. I was afraid this would happen, she added, sniffling and wiping her eyes with the back of her sleeve. I always did bawl like a baby at the drop of a hat. Here I am, a 45-year-old mother of three grown boys threatening to cry me a river over something long since dead and buried. <coughs> Excuse me. What happened to Jellybean? I asked, handing her a tissue and expecting the worst, but the scenario she shared didn't seem so traumatic. At least not at first. Oh, you know, I outgrew him, and we sold him to another little girl. I'm sure he went to a good home and all. What are you feeling right now? Silly, she said with a self-conscious laugh. That's a judgment suppressing the real feeling underneath. Ooh, this is where it gets good. I stressed. And it successfully stopped your crying before you really got started. Where did those tears come from? What did they mean? 
Sad, she whispered, looking off into the distance. I guess I'm sad, little bit, still, but I don't want to talk about it anymore right now, okay? Let's do something involving some real live horses. <laughs> we sat down on the straw bales next to an ancient mesquite tree, and I explained how to use the same process in deciding which member of the Epona herd she wanted to talk to first. Just for a change, just for fun, let's ask your body to make the decision. There are seven horses in seven different corrals. Before you walk up to each fence, stand back in the horse pose, which that's something that they were talked about prior to my starting this excerpt. Um, it's like a, um, I can't remember. It's not a yoga pose. It's some other form of pose, but it's like you're standing and you bend your knees and like hold your arms out, like straight in front of you. And um, that's where she's feeling that like tension in her shoulders. Okay, so before you walk up to each fence, stand back in horse pose, breathe into your belly and notice what you feel. Don't change anything or judge anything or even try to discover the message right away. The idea is to get a baseline reading using your entire body as a sensing device. Once you've scanned yourself, slowly walk up to the horse, staying outside the fence, and notice if anything shifts. Does your breathing become deeper or shallower in the presence of a particular horse? Do your shoulders feel heavier or lighter? Do you notice a tingling sensation in your gut? Does your heart seem to expand or contract? Do you feel more grounded or lightheaded? Do you get any sharp pains or strange images or sudden urges to run away? Whatever comes up, no matter how ridiculous it is, write it down in your notebook before moving on to the next horse. The subtler and more irrational the information, the more significant it's likely to be. But make sure you write it down or your logical mind will forget most of it simply because it doesn't make sense right away. For the next half hour, I watched Cynthia methodically approach each horse scanning her body, pausing now and then to write in her journal. When she joined me on the straw bales again, her posture had improved. She seemed content, even pleased for a moment. Then her shoulders sank as she opened her mouth. I really don't think I got anything worthwhile. After a bit of coaxing, Cynthia began to read from her journal, and I realized that her body's awareness system was much more accurate and sophisticated than I even suspected. She had, for instance, felt a dull ache in her right knee when she approached Rasa. It came up suddenly, she said, and then it went away when I moved to the next horse. That's why I wrote it down. When I informed her that the mare had an arthritic condition in her right back stifle, which is like the knee of the horse, um, <clears throat> similar to the knee in humans, the woman perked up for an instant before chiding to herself once more. Oh yeah, now I remember. You mentioned Ross's lameness in your book. Well, that explains it. You may have read that three months ago, I said, but you didn't know which mare was Rasa. We have, been, we have several black horses here. Your body gave you a big, clear, sentient clue. That's pretty amazing, wouldn't you say? Not really, she replied. <laughs> I think it was just my imagination trying to impress us both with something I knew subconsciously. I mean, I also read that you had a black stallion named Merlin who was a bit dangerous, and I felt like he was trying to get me to rub his withers today. 
I knew from the book that he didn't like this that sort of thing, so of course I didn't dare reach out. But I was real skittish around that other black fella over there who was dozing in the shade, even though he certainly didn't look wild and unpredictable. That was Merlin, I corrected her. The horse you sense wanting a good scratch is a sweet, affectionate mare named Comet. Lord have mercy, I mistook a stallion for a mare, she said. How embarrassing. I didn't even look, <laughs> didn't even bother to check the equipment. And I, am I touched or what? <laughs> so actually, so what's happening here is she's just constantly dismissing these things that she is witnessing. She's bearing witness to all these things. And she just keeps dismissing them. Validation of Cynthia's hidden talents didn't quite have the effect I was expecting. A look of abject terror pressed over her face and the tears began to fall. She became, for a few minutes, inconsolable. Don't do this, she said over and over and over like she was casting a spell that would somehow bring her back from the brink of insanity, which I later realized was exactly what a part of her was trying to do, at least from its own limited perspective. I encouraged her to feel the sense of release that came with a good cry. The suggestion wrenched her free from the clutches of her desperate mantra and she began to sob in earnest. Tell me, what motivated you to come here? She still, she's blotting her face. But what about the book what about the book motivated you to come all this way? Well, I just cried all the way through it. Not always out of sadness, though some of the stories were sad. You touched something in me, I guess. Exactly, I said. Crying isn't always a sign of weakness. Sometimes tears are powerful. When I was working, this was her previous book, when I was working on The Tao of Equus, I knew that I hadn't quite gotten to the essence of certain stories if I wasn't crying when I was writing. Those tears let me know when I'd hit something deep and authentic. The tears you shed reading it motivated you to get on a plane and come here. Tears are power. It's the same in life. Sometimes tears express sadness, frustration, or even anger that needs to be released. But sometimes tears well up when you uncover a part of yourself that was buried under all that's light and logical and socially acceptable. In nature, too much sun is not a good thing. The same with our culture's preference for dry reason over feeling. Digging beneath the surface of your persona is like hitting an underground spring in the desert. The water gushes up and creates an oasis for new growth. Could that be a part of what you were feeling just now? Cynthia's shoulders began to shake and the sobs came once again. She couldn't even nod her head, but I knew the answer was yes. I don't let myself cry very often, she said when she was able to speak again. That sort of thing was discouraged in my family, but I'm even, mo I'm even more afraid that if I get started, I'll never stop. But you didn't cry forever, I countered. No one here shamed you for it. The horses didn't run off and you didn't go insane, Cynthia smiled. To be habitually disconnected from feeling is a dry and desolate state of mind, I emphasized. It keeps you alienated from the deepest, most precious, most creative aspect of yourself. Knowing this now, 
do you have the courage to go back into your body and find out why Jellybean came to you so vividly at that beginning of your, our session today? I already know, <laughs> she answered softly, pointing at Noche. When I stood in front of that sad old bay hunched over in the corner, my shoulders began to tingle. Then I saw myself riding Jellybean. I could actually hear the sound of his breath and feel the wind blowing through my hair. We were both so beautiful and free back then. Too beautiful and free. She reached over, pulled a handful of tissues from the box, and blew her nose. I wasn't a bad little girl, she continued, just curious and full of energy. This is where it gets good. My daddy always complained that I was too big for my britches, and I caught my share of the switch, but he bought me a pony for Christmas one year, and that was my salvation. I'd tire myself out with jelly bean, then be a good little girl at home. Then I had, I had the change of life earlier than most girls, and I shot up like a bean pole in sixth grade. Well, not a bean pole exactly. One day, Mama pulled me aside and told me I wasn't allowed to gallop through the woods alone anymore because I was developing, and the neighborhood boys were looking at me in that way. I started riding with this girl down the street named Mandy. She had a horse, and we became good friends, but every once in a while, I'd still sneak off on my own. Well, Daddy must have caught wind of this somehow. He uh, up and sold my pony to a little girl in the next county when I was away at church camp that summer. I didn't even get the chance to say goodbye. Whew. I was fit to be tied when I got back home and found out what had happened. Daddy said I was too gawky for that pony. He said I looked like a giraffe on a jackrabbit and he'd gotten a good price for jelly bean, but he wouldn't get me a bigger horse with that money. He told me it was high it was high time I stopped racing around like a heathen and started acting like a lady. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. He said if I didn't stop my crying, he'd give me something to cry about. Okay. If you grew up hearing that, that is a form of abuse. That is ridiculous. And I don't know how, like, how many people I have heard them explain this about a parental figure where it's like if you quit if you don't quit crying I'll give you something to cry about come on I knew he would too so I ran to my room and put my pillow over my head and sobbed until the cows came home but it didn't change anything mama brought me a tray that night so I didn't have to face him at dinner I could see she felt bad, but she never spoke out against daddy, and I suspect she agreed with his decision. I didn't dare bring it up ever again. So, <clears throat> in some sense, your parents sold your soul along with the horse. I said quietly, okay, this is like hitting home for me. I don't know how many of you out there have um, had an experience like this. And maybe it wasn't a horse. Maybe it was something else that like really opened up your soul. And then, you know, it gave you wings. And then all of a sudden these wings are clipped because you have to conform to a certain societal um, expectation. Wow. Cynthia nodded her eye, <clears throat> nodded as her eyes welled up with tears. 
I was a proper girl after that. Now that I think back on it, I must have been very depressed, but no one seemed to notice. They liked me better that way. Oh my God. <laughs> so they are not allowing her to express her feelings, right? He's like completely disconnecting her from her feelings or discouraging her from having those feelings around Jelly Bean. He just doesn't want to be a part of it. Um, he doesn't want to, you know, share the consequences after he's sold her pony. And then, if she, like, you're not even going to acknowledge that your daughter is walking around um, depressed and, she, like, just act like she doesn't have a voice, like she doesn't exist. Like, let's not address the elephant in the room. Like, what a generational, like, shit show. <laughs> um, no offense if you grew up that way. Um, I very much understand where you're coming from and this is like deep like this is abuse that is deeply ingrained into our society because of a way that people like thought that this was a way that we had to react in order to survive um wow okay this <laughs> that line gets me every time every single time and you know as women and i know there's a lot of women that listen to this podcast too how many times have you felt like you weren't seen or heard? And then how does that feel for you? Where do you feel it in your body? Where does that, and I know like we live in a society where it's like, don't feel your feelings, but as a creative, like you need to be able to create from your feelings. This is your lifeblood. These are your wings. So why can't we just make that a normal thing <laughs> where we are, feeling our feelings maybe we excuse ourselves from a situation maybe we just pause a conversation so that we can go away be with ourselves and come back with a more rational mindset around other solutions um negotiations those sort of things and not just necessarily as women men too because we this is this is so <laughs> this affects men as well um, where was I? Okay, they like me better that way. Yeah, I feel like I resonate with this as well because, you know, like growing up as an only child, the first grandchild, like you are meant to be seen and not heard. You are meant to be easygoing, go with the flow not stand up for yourself and this is something that you know within my boudoir photography business that I am like calling out to everyone to be seen and heard cause a ruckus because you know this is like gen we have generations upon generations of women that are just like do what your husband says or do you know do what your partner says don't uh don't make it a thing, right? Don't make it a thing. Even though you're uncomfortable in the situation, well, you're going to be even more uncomfortable because you can't talk about it. Um, there's just like my, my, my heart is just racing <laughs> right now. And this is why I felt compelled to share this with you because I know there are people out here that feel the same damn way. Okay, so <laughs> let's get back it. Let's get back to this. I wanted to make sure she understood the different meanings behind this painful memory. So when you said earlier that you were threatening to cry me a river over something long since dead and buried, 
you were really talking about yourself. You were mourning the loss of your real self, your spirit. My sniffling companion reached for another tissue. The box was empty. That part of you isn't dead, I assured her, bringing our first session to a close. I've seen her several times already, and I must say I'm more impressed with her now that I am with the coy southern belle who doesn't quite fit into your womanly body. Cynthia blushed, but her shoulders rose ever so slightly. Your authentic self has been encouraging you all these years to get another horse, I continued. She's the one who didn't have the heart to spank her children. She refused to sell Jasper, which is her horse. She convinced your husband to sell, <clears throat> to send you to Tucson. She's essentially been waving at us all day through some very impressive moments of intuition and clairsentience through tears, through your conviction to your through your conviction to face your fears and ride again. She's the part of you that feels like it will die if you give up riding once and for all. And I think the mask you're, you've been wearing, that false controlling critical voice that kicks in every time you feel anything, panics because big time when you connect with how empathic, intelligent, and powerful you really are. Woo! Your false sense has been acting like its very survival is being threatened here. And you know what? Its life is in danger. Do you think, she asked pensively, that's what Jesus really meant when he said that you have to die and be born again of the spirit? Well, I said momentarily, stunned by her insight, I think that if more churches had interpreted it that way and supported people in living it, that way, the history of the Western world would have looked a whole lot different. Oh, goodness. Okay, so I'm going to take a real quick break. There is a, a smaller little excerpt I want to read that touches on very similar, um, like a very similar story. Um, but I will tell you more when I get back. Okay, this last little story... It's very similar, but it's going to be a lot shorter. I wanted that um, that last story to, you know, I wanted to do it like build up the background, letting you know how, you know, we face certain things as business owners, humans, creatives, mothers, daughters, whatever you identify with, everyone feels has felt like this at some point in their life. And um, where was I going with this? And this is also something that's like, I wanted to share because like you're not alone. And if you've ever been in this phase of life where you've been to told to hush your feelings or quit crying or I'll give you something to cry about, just know that that's not right. And that's not coming from a, a, a place of love and acceptance. Um, you know, our parents, they just do the best that they can in times and um we just need to forgive them for that but then like realize remembering that you know like forgive but don't forget um anyway okay this is the second story i wanted to share with you because i know people in my family that have siblings that um experience this on the reg so um 
yeah, let's just dive in. Okay, so this is also um, a couple paragraphs after, sorry, not a paragraph, a, um, a story maybe after, a couple pages after what we just talked about. Okay, anyway, I'm just going to dive in. This is still from the perspective of Linda, the author of the book. So, okay, I've worked with at least half a dozen men and women who told me their stories similar to Cynthia's. My friend and colleague, Melissa Shandley, who works with us at the Epona Center, is one of them. At age seven, she won first place at a state competition on her beloved childhood friend, Champ, a handsome dapple gray pony who was considered insolent and even a bit dangerous when she first began riding him. Melissa eventually gained, gained his cooperation, not so much through skill as though the deep connection they made. First prize at the Minnesota State Fair, however, brought a sudden end to their relationship. Champ was sold that day without Melissa's knowledge to a buyer willing to pay a blue ribbon price. Her first conscious experience with incongruent adult behavior followed in this uh, subterfuge surrounding Champ's departure. I have a very clear memory of the ranch hands telling me they didn't bring him back from the show, she says. Then they opened the high wood panel stall in the front of the horse van and backed him out. I guess they didn't want to tell me he was sold, but they were trying to send me the message in their cowboy way. Champ was picked up from the Diamond Bee Ranch shortly after. I can still remember how much I loved him and it brings tears to my eyes that I didn't get to say goodbye. So no one considered that this little girl's heart might be broken, that there was more to her relationship with Champ than weekend recreation. There are also an element, there was also an element of shame about winning in a family, she says. The main message Melissa received at home was to avoid conflict and competition and success involved conflict. At the very least, I realized that doing well could result in negative consequences. Somebody else noticed Champed because we excelled and that's why I lost him. Being invisible seemed to be a much safer place. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Being invisible seems to be a much safer place. Yeah, well, you don't, you know, oh my gosh. I'm reading, <laughs> so there's been a lot, and I don't know if anyone else is noticing this, but there's this parable floating around out there where it's like um, a grandfather is speaking with his granddaughter. Let me see if I can find it. Let me get my phone really quick because it's, I read it, I kept hearing about it um, online. Hold on. Um, let's see. I kept hearing about it online, mostly on Instagram, of like the two wolves that we have inside of us. And the parable goes, an elder speaking with his granddaughter says, in life, there are two wolves inside of us that are always at battle. One is a good wolf, which represents things like kindness, bravery, and love. And the other wolf is a bad wolf, which represents things like greed, hatred, and fear. The granddaughter stops and thinks about it for a second. She looks up at her grandfather and says, well, which one wins? And the grandfather says, the one you feed. So, um, yeah, I feel like she, like, 
because we are trying to stay safe, it's feeding the bad wolf because it's like, oh, if I just stay safe, I don't have to worry about the fear of like being confrontational or upsetting people or disrupting anything. <sighs> and I know I grew up like this where it was like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to rock the boat because it's just easier not to speak about these things. It's easier not to feel my feelings. It's easier for me to be invisible and depressed. So I just want to be, I just want to, I wanted to share this with you all because I know I'm not alone in feeling this way or growing up this way. Um, and I feel like this pertains so much to our mindset around building a business because, you know, like I said before, our business is a reflection of us. You know, it's the same thing with how like horses are a reflection of us. They show us our true emotions. They show us our true meaning, our true light and our true um, direction in this life. And coming at, at this from a service provider to empower women and that being a huge mission in my life and a huge mission why I want to help empower photographers to get the same, to do the same thing. It's more than giving a gift to their partner. You're changing the world one woman at a time. Every woman you photograph, whether they, they know it or not. Um, and this trickles down. The way you feel when you're doing a shoot, the way you feel about certain things that have happened as you were growing up, it'll all rise to the surface sooner or later. And the sooner that we acknowledge that, if we need to cry, cry feel those feelings because it'll blow up in other ways and the way that you are growing throughout this life it'll change your the way that you'll have what was I going to say you'll have the um the capacity to take on more and when you take on more and then you say yes to more opportunities that's going to be amazing for you feeding that good wolf don't be afraid don't feed the bad wolf where you're constantly like oh my gosh what if um my facebook ads fail this month okay well then try again next month so what you paid this fee and it's it didn't work this time maybe it'll work next time it's so much more about your mindset. It is 80% of being in business, being in this business, it is 80% mindset and believing in yourself. And those things that have happened in the past where we, as we're growing up, the, like we are deeply, like these thoughts, these limiting thoughts and beliefs are deeply ingrained in us because we don't feel like we're worthy enough to have the things that we want. You can have the boudoir business and you can have your home and you can um, meet your girlfriends for brunch and, 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 and one of my favorite podcasts is called the Anne Life Podcast with Dustin Mishinsky. She's a mindset coach and she is talking about like, you can, <laughs> you can be a six figure, uh, what, what does she do? She, you could be a six figure uh, entrepreneur and watch The Real Housewives, and be home in time for your kids to be home, and be there for their soccer games. You can have, it's not this or that, it's you can do this and that, and that, and that, and that. You don't have to sacrifice 
for the things you want and you're not selfish for wanting the things you want because these are things that help elevate you, make you who you are, serve your purpose, and that's going to trickle down into how you are showing up for your people. So I'm going to leave you on this note from Marianne Williamson. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. This is from Return to Love, by the way. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond our measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be a brilliant, gorgeous, talented, and fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God, or whoever you pray to. You, your playing small doesn't serve the world. There's nothing enlightening. There's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. Thanks so much for listening to this Boudoir Photographer Life podcast. If you have any questions, reach out to me on Instagram at Bethany Quinn Studios. Special thanks to Sarah Wilkie from Wilkie On Demand and Bethany Quinn Studios. Thank you.